0: This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Amen. Good morning, saints, and thank you, John. So last week, you remember... Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Key verse, key principle, core understanding of who we are as followers of Jesus. We're people of faith, not people of works. Faith comes before works. Works follows faith to, to, to make sure that your faith is real. There should be works that follow it. But we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. And God, Last week we saw where God promised Abram a people. He said, Abram, you're going to have a son. It's going to be your own offspring. And today, God promises Abram a land, a place. He says, this land is your land, as the folk song used to go. And then Abram utters a, a, a faith question. I think this is a faith question, not a doubt challenge. I know the difference? Big time difference. A faith question says, help me, Lord. I don't understand. Help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. And Abram says, how am I to know that I I shall possess it? And this promise that God gives him is going to come at a very high cost. Let's look at this passage today under three main points. Covenant cut, suffering and salvation promised, and redemption won. If I told you to go home and take five animals that you own, bear with me here, a dog, a cat, a gerbil, or a guinea pig. I know some of you have guinea pigs. A parakeet and a goldfish. Go home, cut them in half, lay the pieces side by side across from each other. If I told you to do that, I wouldn't blame you if you got up and walked out right now, you know, and called the SPS SPCA and called the police and everything else you need to call to report me for asking you to do that, because That is unthinkable for us to do. But it wasn't a big deal for Abram to be told to take a a cow, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon and cut them in half, not the birds, but cut the rest of them in half and lay them side by side because in that land where he was now in Canaan and in the land he had come from, Mesopotamia, that was the way you made a promise. If you had a serious promise that you needed to make with someone then this is how you did it. You cut these animals in two, and then both parties would walk between the bloody pieces, a gruesome path of promise. And what you're doing when you do that is you're saying, may my life be like their life if I don't honor my word to you. May the same thing happen to me that happened to these animals if I break my word. It was a serious covenant. You know, it's interesting because each of these five animals that Abram was commanded to cut or to use as sacrifices are the very same animals that will be used when? During the sacrificial system. It started with Moses and ended when the temple was destroyed in AD 70. And the Jews still say, oh yeah, we're going to rebuild the temple one day and we're going to start having those sacrifices again. But this was, this was a centuries-long practice. Right until Jesus became the perfect and the final sacrifice. This day in Abram's life reminds us that since the fall, when God covered Adam and Eve right with animal skins, which required the life of those animals, that since that time, the covenant we have with God is a blood covenant. In fact, as Hebrews nine twenty two says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Of sin. So this is how a covenant was made. Something had to die. And praise God, that something eventually became a someone, the only one, the holy Son of God, the perfect sacrifice, so that there never needed to be a, a sacrifice again. Look, the Son of God is our perfect high priest, will enter the holy place, but not like all the other priests, Hebrews 9, who entered with blood not their own, Jesus entered the sacrifice as the priest and the sacrifice. And that's what's happening here. A covenant's being cut. In verse 11, you see the birds of prey came down to devour the dead animals, but Abram drove them away. What is this? Nobody knows for sure, but what some people think is this was portending, this was looking forward to the time when the people of God would be attacked. Right? Right? But God would come to the defense of his people. So then the sun goes down. and As I told the children right then, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And and interesting, it says, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now, lots of ways we could go here, but let me just, a couple of applications. A great, dreadful darkness fell upon him. The last time we saw somebody fall into a deep sleep, in this book, was when God put Adam in the third stage of anesthesia so he could take a rib from him and make Eve from it, right? So there was a deep sleep that God used for his own purposes. But here the the sleep comes as the covenant sacrifice is made, attending by great darkness and great dread, deep darkness and great dread. What's it looking forward to? What's another time when there will be darkness and great horror and dread for those who know what's going on. Everybody said, the cross. Right, on that Friday when Jesus was crucified, he was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m., we're told that. And then at noon, there was darkness over the whole land for three hours. For three hours, there was great darkness and great dread. That was the time when Jesus was in the dark, if you will, feeling the full weight of the sin of every person he would ever save on the planet, on him at that moment. And that's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The darkness and the weight of that moment we will never understand. We can only imagine the horror and be amazed at the sacrifice, the grace Derek Kidner writes of this scene with Abram. The setting is somber in every detail, partly no doubt to emphasize that the covenant must be carried through in the teeth of opposition, that's verse 11, and by means of great judgments. We'll see that next. That leads us to suffering and salvation promised. So God now tells Abram uh, what's going to happen to his offspring after he is gone. (laughs) Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? For us, I mean, how would you like it if God told you, "Oh, by the way, after you're gone, your whole family is going to be enslaved"? You know, all of your fo- all of people who come after you, your ancestors, they're going to be enslaved for hundreds of years. I don't want to know that about my children, my grandchildren, my great great. You know, God, thank you for sparing us that detail, but it was necessary for this to be recorded so that we. And the people who followed after Abram, since Abram, would know that we have a covenant keeping God. He makes a promise and he delivers on his promise every single time. Why? Because he loves his people. Remember this book was written, as I've told you before and I'll tell you again, this book was written by Moses in the wilderness and the people of God have just come through the Red Sea. They've come out of slavery. And now they've been rescued by God's great hand. And they're in the wilderness. And Moses is writing this story down so they can know where they came from. And look, so that they will know that the 400 years, listen guys, the 400 years that you spent in slavery was part of God's plan and purpose for you. Everybody understand that? Slavery was not an oops. You know, God said, ah, I took my eye off the ball for just a second and my people got enslaved. <laughs> what am I going to do? It was his plan and purpose. And we'll talk more about that later in the sermon. Why it was his plan and purpose. I told you last week that someone said to me recently, his life is based on the belief that good things happen to good people. We know that as karma. You see dumb bumper stickers by you know, the elite liberals. Who, it says, my karma ran over your dogma. Very funny. But there's three things wrong with that foundation of faith. The three comments I'll make. Number one, there are no good people. Hello. There are no good people. We're all sinners at birth separated from God. That's why when the rich young ruler comes and says, Good teacher, you know what must I do? Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Jesus asked the rich young ruler that for two reasons. Number one, to make him understand that no one's good, including you, rich young guy. You're not good. In fact, the only one who is good is God. And are you believing by this question that I am God, the Son of God? Why would you call me good unless you see me as Son of God? And clearly the rich young ruler didn't because he walked away sadly when he was asked to believe that affected his pocketbook. Number two, problem with karma, is bad things happen to all people because of sin. We live in a broken and fallen world, right? But number three, I love this. All things, everybody say all. All things work together for good for only one group. Those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. That means trials, that means tribulations, that means sickness, that means death, that means suffering, that means bankruptcy. All things work together for good according to God's plan and purpose. For those who are called by him. Amen. Amen. Next God promises that the nation that afflicts his people. Will be judged. And I love this. And his people he says will come out with great possessions. Now, remember, this is after the the Exodus, but this was written, I mean, this happened long before the people were enslaved. God is telling Abraham, you know what? Your people are going to be enslaved, but they're going to come out of that enslavement with great possessions. And remember when God met Moses for the first time, or let's put it another way, when Moses met God for the first time at the burning bush, and God told Moses then, you're going to tell Pharaoh, he's going to let the people go, and they're going to plunder the Egyptians. That's what the word says there in Exodus, I believe it's chapter 3. They will plunder the Egyptians. And that's exactly what happened. They took all the gold and silver, and all the neighbors, all their neighbors, Egyptian neighbors, gave it up freely. God put it on their hearts. Right? So then God tells Abram, by the way, Abram, I got good news, and I got bad news. The bad news, you're not going to possess the promised land with your people. Okay? That's going to happen a long time from now. I mean, you're in the promised land now, but it's not really the promised land because it needs to be conquered and it's not going to happen for a long time. You're not going to possess the promised land, but you will die at a good old age and you will die in peace. Now, think about that, saints. I mean, if you were promised that you're going to have trouble in your lifetime, but you're going to die in peace, how many would take that? I hope we all would. But see, what happens is a lot of times we Christians are saying, no, 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 I want peace and prosperity and all the good stuff now. And look, if I die in a horrible way and it's painful and it's awful and I'm I'm, I'm scared to death, that's okay. No, it's not. No, it's not. I'd rather have the trials and tribulations and hardships now and the peace that passes understanding at the moment when I need it most. When God literally picks me up from that car seat and takes me to... My place of rest. Where it won't be a bed. Hallelujah. We won't have to sleep in heaven. But I'll wake up in his presence. And that's what God says to Abraham. You're going to wake up in my presence. You're going to go to sleep in peace. Trials and tribulations, yes. So he promises him an easy death. But not an easy life. You know, that reminded me. When I was thinking about that this week. It reminded me of Acts Where Paul and Barnabas are coming back from their first missionary tour and they're encouraging the people in faith, people who'd come to know Jesus, they're encouraging them, saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14 22. Phillips Brooks was one of the great American preachers back in the day. I don't know if you've ever heard of Phillips Brooks. It's Phillips with an S on the end, Brooks. And, And he said this this is a great quote from Phillips Brooks. He said, Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. Then the doing of your work will be no miracle, but you yourself shall be a miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself, at the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God. Pray for powers equal to your tasks. So that God can work miracles in and through us. So God then promises the people will come back to the land after four generations. Now we think of generations as like 20 years, right? 20, 25 years. But during the time of the patriarchs, a generation was 100 years. Those guys lived a long time. And so he's saying in four generations, 400 years, your people will come back to the promised land. And then he says something interesting. You see that in the text? Anybody wonder about this? For the iniquity of the Amorites... Is not yet complete. You see that? It's in verse 16. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. What does that mean? The Amorites were very wicked people. And they're living in Canaan now when God is speaking to Abram. And they will be living in Canaan when Joshua and the people cross the Jordan. These are very wicked. In fact, they're so wicked, I can't even tell you some of the things that they practiced because it's not, it's not good for children to hear these things. But one of the things that happened with the Amorites was they practiced ritual child sacrifice. Not too far off of what America has been doing since 1973. But they also practiced many other abominations that, again, I can't mention. God gave them, here's the point God's making here. I'm giving these guys a long time to repent Because the fullness of their sin has not yet happened. But when the sin loop is complete, I'm going to send Joshua and his army across the Jordan. And they're going to find the Amorites and they're going to absolutely destroy them. And you know, if you read in Joshua's uh, book, you know the only time when someone asked God to make the sun stop in the sky? You remember that? And it stopped in the sky for basically a day. And this has been scientifically proven that there's kind of a day missing in the calendar way back in. So, so he, was t- he was taking on the Amorites. This is when he was taking the Amorites to task. And he, he was running out of daylight. And so he says, son, stand still. And God gave him favor to stop the sun in its place. And then God gave him favor by sending some little heaven-sent hailstones on the Amorites. In fact, the word says that more people died from the hailstones that came from heaven than from the swords that came from the men of Joshua. And the Amorites were finally and completely destroyed. So guys, listen. Think about this. The Amorites were given hundreds of years to repent. And they were surrounded for hundreds of years by people who knew God. They saw the testimony. They saw the life that was changed by God. They saw these people who were different than they were. And it didn't make a bit of difference. And, you know, sometimes we wonder, I mean, we're living as Christians in Alamance County. We're surrounded by people who could not care less about us and our God and our church and our Bible, and they think we're fools. And Paul had a word for those who refused to come to God in Romans 2. He said, do not do, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Ham writes, The kindness of God for 400 years and more than that is meant to lead you to repentance. And yet they would not come. Derek Kidner wrote, Until it was right to invade, God's people had to wait. Until it was right to invade, God's people had to wait, even if it cost them years of hardship and suffering. God promises a, a peaceful death. He doesn't promise us a peaceful life. And finally, we come to the best part of this story. And children, I talked to you a while ago, and I listened carefully for the promise. Right? This, is, this is a pretty powerful section. This is the most beautiful part, although as you read it, it doesn't seem that beautiful, does it? It seems kind of strange and maybe a little grotesque. But when there's no daylight left, the sun's gone. It's totally dark. Abram had a vision. What did he see? a smoking fire pot. Just think of a big black cauldron with fire in it and smoke coming out of it and a flaming torch, right? And what is he, what's, what's going on? Who, what's he seeing here? We talked about a Christophany. Melchizedek may be a Christophany. Well, this is clearly a theophany. It's not Christ. This is God in the midst of his people with Abram in the in the in the in the symbolic picture of fire and smoke. Remember, and again, Moses is writing to the people who came and they're in the wilderness. How are they led in the wilderness? A pillar of, not by day, a pillar of cloud, and by night, a pillar of Fire. Remember when Moses went up on the top of Mount Sinai and he was to receive the Ten Commandments? And it says in Exodus 19, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. (laughs) So this is God and Abram is witnessing God in this covenant. And what's so important and amazing about this is that this is a unilateral covenant. That means God's by himself making this promise. Anybody ever been to a wedding and seen the husband and wife get married and they say their vows, make a promise? And then what happens? You may now what? Kiss your bride and then they turn and they're announced to the, to the congregation and then they both walk down the aisle, don't they? That's the way it's supposed to work. Here we have God walking down the aisle, if you will, between these bloody sacrifices all by himself. He's saying to Abraham and he's saying to you and me, this is my promise and what I promise I will carry out. And if it were possible for me to be like these bloody pieces, well then I should be if I were to break My promise. And see, because there's nobody greater than God, God swore by Himself to Abram. Right? God swears by Himself and all of Abram's descendants, including you and me who are in Christ, that He will keep His promise. Joshua saw the fulfillment of this. This is what it says, Joshua, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and they settled there. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And then Paul says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So what are the promises we have from God? I'm going to close with this he will make us a people we are covenant people of God he will take us through trials and tribulations he won't leave us there he will give us grace for each moment and strength equal to the calling on our lives he will hold our hands no better yet he will carry us as we pass from this realm to the next in peace and he will give us a home And this is not it. Those are the promises. And because God cut the covenant with Abraham, and God cut the covenant with us in the new covenant with Jesus on the cross, there's no way that these things will not come to pass for all of us. So what are we to do? Just like Abraham. Believe God. Believe God when you're in the middle of the valley when you're in the middle of a test when you're in the middle of a trial when you're in the middle of suffering and when you're on the mountaintop of prosperity and victory believe God there is no other our hope is in him we're going to have a baptism after the service today and you young people who are being baptized when you make your confession that you're you're born again you believe in Jesus you're saying I believe God I believe his promises he loves me and he's going to carry me all the way home. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we serve a covenant-keeping and a covenant-making God who is willing to walk through the covenant by himself, just as one day he would send his son by himself to be on the cross by himself, separated from God for just that moment so that he could pay the price for our sins so that he could promise us and carry that promise to fulfillment promise us an eternal home and promise us a life though filled with trials and tribulations a life filled with joy and peace and glory in God so help us to walk with you and in you and and, and put on display to our neighbors and friends who, maybe like the Amorites, do not care. Lord, let us continue to pray for them, serve them, and tell them the truth of the gospel in love. And who knows, but that one day they may come to you as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.